Hi there, I hope you're all well and welcome along to this week's edition of the Think Curiously podcast mini-series, The Weekly Stoic. Now in a similar fashion to last week, this episode will explore some of my main takeaway messages from the last seven days, added to that by my personal experiences, thoughts and feelings. I'm now actually in week four of my studies and I can honestly say that hand on heart each week passes, not only do I feel like I'm gaining a better understanding of my thoughts and feelings, but I'm becoming ever more interested in the individual characters who helped build, live and promoted the philosophy through so many years ago. But this week I took it an extra step further. Uh, I started journaling, writing down my thoughts and feelings every morning and every, every evening using the quotes and explanations from the Daily Stoic as a guide, the book upon which this uh, podcast is based. So to help me promote a deeper level of thought, I seemed it was only right that I bought the Daily Stoic journal to house those thoughts and feelings. And on top of that, I also bought The Lives of the Stoics, another book by Ryan Holiday that explores one by one the life stories of the key figures of the philosophy. And as we move through this episode, and hopefully episodes in the future, I will share with you some of my journal entries just to add that little bit more relatability uh, to the subject, to the topic that we're speaking about, so that I can use it in many ways as part of my journey to understand my thoughts and feelings in audio form as well as written form. But also, I am 100% certain that this is adding more value to my life in terms of understanding my actions and decisions on a daily basis. And I know for a fact that if there's anybody out there looking to seek the same clarity or at least begin that process, that this will 100% help. The book, The Daily Stoic, the journal, The Daily Stoic Journal, and The Lives of the Stoic Book by Ryan Holiday. I can't recommend any more. And this process for me over the last four weeks has taken me from a point where egotistically, I suppose we all do at a stage think, well, you know, why do I need to read about my thoughts and feelings, right? Because I think about them, so therefore I know what they are. Nobody else thinks about them when you couldn't be too further from the truth because we are constantly from the outside world influenced. Our decisions are constantly influenced on a subconscious level and the conscious level. And this process of trying to find that clarity, trying to find when I should act, when I shouldn't act, what my decisions should be in certain given moments and contexts, and writing those down so I can catalogue them and potentially, hopefully, find patterns that allow me to either change my views and my perspectives, my judgments and temperance, as as the Stoics would say, uh, towards that situation to help me live uh, a more uh, more less stressful, I suppose, life with a bit more clarity and purpose to it as well. So without getting too deep into it, that's where it's taken me, that's where it's going. So to kick off uh, this week's episode, just like we've done the past two weeks, we're going to take a look at another life uh, of one of the important figures in the history of Stoicism, and that is Cleanthes. Known by some as the industrious philosopher, Cleanthes came from a city on the Ergen coast, which in today's world would be known as northwestern Turkey. In that, city, in, in that city, Aristotle found his school less than 20 years before Cleanthes' birth. Now, Cleanthes arrived in Athens completely broke, with nothing more than his reputation as a boxer that preceded him. Undeterred by his financial situation, he got to work holding down numerous odd jobs throughout the city, including as a water carrier, carrying water to the city's gardens by hand. He would often do this at night because during the day he would study and at night he would work. So he didn't really know then, but later on he would become the successor to Zeno, the founder of Stoicism. 
It's not yet clear how uh, Cleanthes came to meet Zeno, but it is likely that it was through the philosopher Crates, under whom he also studied. What is interesting is that even after he made his name as a budding philosopher, like I said previously, he continued to do that work, working hard at night so that he could be up during the day studying as much as possible, asking questions of himself and the philosophy in which he was learning. And I guess that's where he got the the tagline or the nickname, the industrious philosopher. His work ethic was such that when the citizens of Athens grew suspicious of his neat and conditioned physique for someone of the age that he was, they hauled him in front of the court to give him an opportunity to explain to them the way he lived his life and how he could be so in such a good physical shape mentally as well and be able to carry through what he was doing on a daily basis. So he had to give an account of his life, how he was living and how he made a living. And defending himself, Cleanthes drew forward a gardener for whom he carried water. But he also asked a woman whose grain he crushed to testify in his favour. Not only was he acquitted, but he received a large settlement from the court. The settlement was a message from the city that we could use more folk like this. They set him up as an example to say that this man is studying as hard as he does during the day. He works as hard as he does, even harder at times, at night. He does all of this manual labour to help other people out, whilst at the same time trying to advance a way of living and understanding of the philosophy that was at that time coming to the forefront. But on top of that was his age and how he kept going throughout. I actually think I recall reading that he died, I think, was he 99 when he passed away? So that's a phenomenal lifespan um, to be living that kind of hard work during the day and, and work during the night, the little work at night, to, to, to have that drive and that go and that motivation to constantly do it. It, it must have been a, a fascinating character here. I should say he must have been a fascinating character to get to know. So like I said, as I've mentioned previously, I began journaling my uh, journaling my thoughts and writing them down twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And to make this as impactful as possible, I've also started a new morning routine and I have never been an early riser. I've always liked the comfort of a warm bed in the morning, but I now wake up at 5.50, or at least I have done for the last week, um, 5.50 a.m., sort of wipe the sleep from my eyes, allow myself to get focused and come out of that sleepy kind of state that you're in, you know, that kind of like half awake, half sleeping state that you are as soon as you wake up. So I allow myself maybe 10, 10 or so minutes just to get out of that. And then I start reading. So I start reading at six and I take what I call a thought break at 6.30. So I read sort of that half an hour, take a thought break at 6.30 just to try and regain my thoughts, digest what I've just read, write any notes, highlight anything I need, highlight it just to Again, compound the knowledge, I suppose, and also make reference to parts that I need to get back to or I want to understand more. And then I continue on going to about sort of 10 past 7, quarter past 7. And I've found that what this hour allows me to do is to gather my thoughts, write them down, obviously gain a little bit more knowledge and background about something that is starting to become a bit like the podcast, a bit of a passion project for me to understand. But also I know the meaning behind it. I know the reason why I'm doing it. Uh, because... Like I said in previous episodes and actually in the main podcast itself, there's so it's so easy to, to navigate through life, um, going down the avenues and the paths and roads that other people believe you should do and, and they believe that they have set out for you or they have created something for you that you then take on and you follow. And I don't quite believe that is the way that life works. I think we all have to make our own decisions. We all have to be strong in our own character to understand that maybe the situations we find ourselves in are not the situations we want to be in, but there are ways out and that we can make that choice. 
We just have to have the confidence to do it. And essentially, I'm not saying that I was forced down any avenue at all in my adult life to follow where there was nothing preset for me to follow rules and I had to live a certain way. But I just feel that this philosophy in particular has so many valuable take-home messages and so many more than take-home messages. It's a practical philosophy. It's a philosophy that, that you live and that you think about and that draws your attention to things that maybe you had never you know, ever thought that you would ever think about. And we, we do touch on that a little bit um, later on as we go. But so once I've done that, once I've read, um, sort of 10 past seven, quarter past seven, from there, I'll just go about my daily business. You have your shower, take your breakfast, push your teeth, all that. Um, and then by about 7.45, uh, I just get ready to update socials for the pod or do whatever other task there has to be done. Um, and just as my stoic philosophy is in its infancy, so is the routine. So on other mornings, it's easier and more difficult. Like I think it was Friday morning. Um, I actually used uh, Friday morning. I was like, I was completely knackered. And I, I just felt like, you know, putting the blankets over and, and going back to sleep again. But I remembered having a conversation with a friend of mine, Darren Wallace, who I do the Changemakers Project with. And he talked about this idea, the countdown from five, four, three, two, one, like NASA do for the liftoff. Um, and he'd read it in a book, I think somewhere about, you know, going to do something that maybe you're second guessing yourself on. So countdown from five. So that's essentially what I did. I lay in bed and five, four, three, two, one, and I hit one and I just bounced out of bed. It was it's, I'm making it sound a lot easier than what it was at the time, but I knew that I had to do it because I want. I felt the benefits of the previous four days and I wanted to feel those benefits again. And do you know the funny thing is, as much as I've said earlier on that I am not an early riser and I'm, I, I don't think I ever was, but it's now got to the point where I actually look forward to what I have to do when I get up in the morning. I look forward to my reading. I look forward to having to update the socials or whatever it is or maybe go a walk and I don't live too far away from the university grounds in Coleraine so I can walk around them which I have done a few times in the morning and it's something that I suppose when I come home from work you've you know you've normally got washing to do cleaning to do whatever it is other life things sort of they essentially could get in the way but in that time in the morning it's kind of like my time just to do what I see fits for me and and how I can go forward with the day from there so listen I think I'm blabbering on here but (laughs) let me just get on then uh, to this week's main body of the episode. So like last week, I kind of picked out two main areas or two main topics that I wanted to speak about this week. I've got uh, one, okay? And one was from the, the 28th of January on page 36 of the Daily Stoic titled Watching the Wise. Now this past week, I found myself in a situation whereby somebody commented to me that, uh, and to, to, to paraphrase, it was, you better watch your attitude, son. Um, kind of caught me off guard, I suppose. But now in the context of the situation, I literally have no idea where the, came, the, the comment came from. Uh, the only thing I can think about is is um, it's how I was leaning against a, a post when I was speaking to him. Maybe it was a bit too relaxed for what he, the setting that he thought he was in and the response that he got at that stage maybe wasn't what he was expecting. But did he then hold unrealistic expectations of the outcome that he was looking for? Had he had a rough day? Was there a source of frustration in his life? And then when he came in, and he interacted with me and he didn't get what he needed or didn't get what he felt he wanted, and then he, he obviously reacted in that manner. But I honestly can say that my approach to the situation, I, I don't think, was um, was warranted by the response that he gave. So knowing now what I, what I know about Stoic philosophy, they often speak about understanding you know, when to act and when not to act and control your emotions. Is it worth you getting into a situation here? Um, and this is, these are thoughts that essentially 
probably in split seconds, hundreds and thousands of a second were going through my head. Is it the right thing to do? Can you control your emotions? And to that end, I actually did feel in control. I kept calm. I felt at ease. And though my reply has been seen by others um, as to suggest that I was agitated and what I was said was out of order, that cannot be further from the truth. Uh, my heart rate didn't rise. I didn't get that, you know, that, that redness, that, that warmness that you get if you're frustrated or agitated. I didn't get any of that. I was clear. I was focused. I knew the situation I was in and I knew the response that I was going to give. And I knew why the response, I knew why I was going to give the response that I gave. And so I basically said, your opinion of me is of no concern to me. Now, people may say that that's arrogant. People may say that that is uh, rude and dismissive or whatever way, but that is a way of, I suppose, when I look about it, offsetting any other negative behavior or emotion that could have came out of that situation. I was pretty much using that as a way of batting off to say that I am not going to rise to what you want me to rise to. I'm making this statement and we're moving on from it and forgetting about it altogether. Now, I will go on um, further and tell you what my uh, what my actual thoughts about it were, but as I said, not angry, not frustrated. I felt at ease, was well articulated, I thought, and it was a method of removing myself from a mindset that could have moved me, as I've mentioned previously, towards a more dangerous um, response, negative response or mental state. So I'm going to share something with you um, from the 28th of January, which is my entry to my journal. Um, and yeah, I, I feel that I have to. I've told you about the other parts of the story, but I also think that it shows you the power of of the journaling process and understanding your thoughts and feelings because what I essentially do is I just question myself um, and what I didn't do was I didn't have a book open to help guide me through these thoughts. These were essentially, as soon as they came into my head, when I thought about the situation, this is what came out. And uh, it is a little bit um, a little lengthy, so just brace yourself for it. But it goes like something like this. It starts off by saying, Today I reacted when someone verbalized their dislike for my attitude. I don't feel that my reaction was out of sync with the context, though I do question if it added any value. I don't feel bitter, nor do I regret my action. My gut feeling is that people or businesses dehumanize you when they hide behind values not set by them and the expectation is on you to conform. To me, that setup is only ever there and destined for failure. What does this suit do? Does it remove my emotions? Does it make me robotic? Do I have to conform to social norms that put pains to authenticity? They say that I can't express my opinion. Then if so, who are they to tell me that? Should I react? Should I show disregard or bite the proverbial tongue? Which is better? If I say that the opinion of others does not affect me, but they do, then do I understand the ability that I have to control my actions? Now, I'm still trying to find clarity in my thoughts and my actions and looking upon incidents like this helped guide me. And I guess this week, that's what I've learned. That is that when you've reacted because of the opinion of another, if you give enough thought, you'll provoke questions in yourself that you would never have thought about if you didn't sit down and try and analyse your actions and thoughts at that moment. The questions posed in my journal outset are there to inform my understanding of who I am through firstly understanding my actions. And whether you think that I was right or I was wrong, that's irrelevant because what's important is now that I feel that this situation that I have just lived through and experienced is proof to me that I can deconstruct my actions in an effort to understand them. I can question myself. I'm not feared. I'm not scared to do that. I'm not certainly not scared to share it because I think everyone does it to a degree, but maybe 
Some don't like the answers they get, so they don't um, they don't want to articulate them. But those questions that I've posed up there, um, I will use them and I will have a look at them, and they may inform potential other episodes of the podcast as a way of getting other people's uh, experiences of situations similar to that, so that I can maybe draw comparisons and try to understand. Well, maybe those actions were offset because of X, Y, and Z, or whatever it is. That's essentially the main body of the podcast. And as I said, I hope that as I go through this the next number of weeks, I'll be able to share more uh, journal entries to give some relatability and relativity to uh, what it is I'm actually saying in the journey that I'm on right now. So what we'll do now is, as always, we'll go through day by day the thoughts and explanations of the Taken from the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. January 22nd, the day in review. I will keep constant watch over myself and, most usefully, will put each day up for review. For this is what makes us evil, that none of us looks back upon our own lives. We reflect only on that which we are about to do, and yet our plans for the future descend from the past. In a letter to his older brother, Novatus Seneca describes a beneficial exercise he borrowed from another prominent philosopher. At the end of each day, he would ask himself variations of the following questions. What bad habits did I curb today? How am I better? Were my actions just? How can I improve? At the beginning of each day, the Stoic sits down with his journal and writes what he does. What he thought. What could be improved? It's for this reason that Marcus Aurelius' Meditations is somewhat inscrutable book. It was for personal clarity and not public benefit. Writing down Stoic exercises was and is also a form of practicing them, just as repeating a prayer or a hymn might be. Keep your own journal, whether it's saved on a computer or in a little notebook. Take time to to consciously recall the events of the previous day. Be unflinching in your assessments. Notice what contributed to your happiness and what detracted from it. Write down what you'd like to work on or quotes that you like. By making the effort to record such thoughts, you're less likely to forget them. An added bonus, you'll have a running tally to track your progress. January 23rd. The truth about money. Let's pass over the really rich. How often the occasions they just look like the poor. When they travel abroad, they must restrict their baggage. And when the haste is necessary, they dismiss their entourage. And those who are in the army, how few of the possessions they get to keep. The author F. Scott Fitzgerald, who often glamorized the lifestyles of the rich and famous in his book The Great Gatsby, opens one of his short stories with the now classic lines, let me tell you about the very rich. They are very different from you and I. A few years after this story was published, his friend Ernest Hemingway teased Fitzgerald by writing, yes, they have more money. That's what Seneca is reminding us. As someone who was one of the richest men in Rome, he knew firsthand that money only marginally changed lives. It doesn't solve the problems that people without it seem to think that it will. In fact, no material possession will. External things can't fix internal issues. We constantly forget this. We constantly forget this. And it causes us so much confusion and pain. As Hemingway would later write to Fitzgerald, he thought that the rich were a special glamorous race. When he found they weren't, it wrecked him as much as any other thing that wrecked him. Without a change, the same will be true for us. January 24th. Push for deep understanding. From Rusticus I learned to read carefully and not be satisfied with a rough understanding of the whole. 
and to not agree too quickly with those who have a lot to say about something. The first book of Marcus Aurelius' Meditations begins with a catalogue of gratitude. He thinks one by one the leading influences in his life. One of the people that he thanks is Quintus Junius Rusticus, a teacher who developed in his student a deep love for clarity and understanding, a desire to not just stop at the surface when it comes to learning. It was also from Rusticus, Rusticus that Marcus was introduced to Epictetus. In fact, Rusticus loaned Marcus his professional and personal copy of Epictetus's lectures. Marcus clearly wasn't satisfied with just getting the gist of these lectures and didn't simply accept them on whatever the teacher's recommendations was. Paul Johnson once joked that Edmund Wilson read books as though the author wasn't tried for his life. That's why Marcus read Epictetus. And when the lessons passed muster, he absorbed them. They became part of his DNA as a human being. He quoted them at length over the course of his life, finding real clarity and strength in the words, even amid the immense luxury and power he would come to possess. That's the kind of deep reading and study we need to cultivate in us as well, which is why we're reading just one page a day, instead of a chapter at a time. We can take the time to read attentively and deeply. January 25th, the only prize. What's left to be prized? This, I think. To limit our action or inaction to only what's in keeping with the needs of our own preparation. It's what the exertions of education and teaching are all about. Here's a thing to be prized. If you hold this firmly, you'll stop trying to get yourself all the other things. If you don't, you won't be free, self-sufficient or liberated from passion but necessarily full of envy, jealousy and suspicion for any who have the power to take them. And you'll plot against those who do have what you prize. But by having some self-respect for your own mind and prizing it, you will please yourself and be in a better harmony with your fellow human beings. And more in tune with the gods, praising everything they have set in order and allotted to you. Warren Buffet, whose net is approximately $65 billion, lives in the same house that he bought in 1958 for $31,500. John Uschel, a linesman for the Baltimore Ravens, makes millions but manages to live on just $25,000 a year. San Antonio Spurs' Kawhi Leonard gets around in a 1997 Chevy Tahoe. He's had that since he was a teenager. Even with a contract worth $94 million, why? It's not because these men are cheap, it's because these things that matter to them are cheap. Neither Buffet nor Uschel or Leonard ended up this way by accident. Their lifestyle is a result of prioritising. They cultivate interests that are decidedly below their financial means, and as a result, any income would allow them freedom to pursue the things that they most care about. It just happens that they become wealthy beyond any expectation. This kind of clarity about what they love most in the world means they can enjoy their lives. It means they'd still be happy even if the markets were to turn or their careers were cut short by injury. The more things we desire and the more we have to earn or attain those achievements, the less we actually enjoy our lives and the less free we are. January 26th. The power of a mantra. Erase the false impressions from your mind by constantly saying to yourself, I have it in my soul to keep out any evil, desire or any kind of disturbance. Instead, seeing the true nature of things, I will give them only their due. Always remember this power that nature gave you. Anyone who's taken a yoga class or been exposed to Hindu or Buddhist thought has probably heard of the concept of a mantra. In Sanskrit, it means sacred utterance, especially a word, a phrase, a thought, even a sound intended to provide clarity or spiritual guidance. A mantra can be especially helpful in the meditative process because it allows us to block out everything else whilst we focus. It's fitting then that Marcus Aurelius would suggest this stoic mantra. 
A reminder or watch phrase to use when we feel false impressions, distractions or the crush of everyday life upon us. It says, essentially, I have the power within me to keep that out. I can see the truth. Change the wording as you like. That part is entirely up to you. But have a mantra and use it to find the clarity that you crave. January 27th, the three areas of training. There are three areas in which the person who would be wise and good must be trained. The first has to do with desires and aversions, that a person may never miss the mark in desires or fall into what repels them. The second has to do with impulses to act and not to act, and more broadly, with duty, that a person may act deliberately for good reasons and not carelessly. The third has to do with freedom from deception and composure and the whole area of judgment, the assent our mind gives to its perceptions. Of these areas, the chief and most urgent is the first, which has to do with your passions. For strong emotions arise only when we feel in our desires and aversions. Today, let's focus on the three areas of training that Epictetus laid out for us. First, we must consider what we should desire and what we should be averse to. Why? So that we want what is good and we avoid what is bad. It's not enough just to listen to your body because our attractions often lead us astray. Next, we must examine our impulses to act. That is, our motivations. Are we doing things for the right reasons? Or do we act because we haven't stopped to think? Or do we believe that we have to do something? Finally, there is our judgment. Our ability to see things clearly and properly comes when we use the greatest gift from nature. That is reason. These are the three distinct areas of training. But in practice, they are inextricably linked. Our judgment affects what we desire. Our desires affect how we act just as our judgments determine how we act. But we can't just expect this to happen. We must put real thought and energy into each area of our lives. If we do, we'll find real clarity and success. January 28th, watching the wise. Take a good hard look at people's ruling principles, especially of the wise, what they can run away from and what they seek out. Seneca has said, without a ruler to do it against, you can't make crooked straight. That is the role of wise people in our life, to serve as models of inspiration, to bounce our ideas off and to test our presumptions. Who that person will be for you is up to you. Perhaps it's your father or your mother. Maybe it's a philosopher or a writer or a thinker. Perhaps it's WWJD, what would Jesus do? Maybe they are the right models for you. But pick someone, watch how they do and what they do and what they don't do and try your best to do the same.